Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to a little addendum at the end of our series of your own personal Beatles. Um, our weekly run is finished, but we're back with a couple of sort of treats over the next couple of weeks um, of stuff that we couldn't quite fit into the regular one. So, welcome Robin, nice to see you again. Hello Jack, how are you doing? I am very well. Don't uh, lie. <laughs> no, I'm, well, you know, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're both broadly fine. We're both broadly fine. And who was uh, your little bonus guest? It was a bit of a first for your own personal Beatles because, unfortunately, um, due to work commitments in my quote unquote real job, I wasn't actually, nothing uh, actually is real, able Jack. to. Nothing is real. Yeah. Um, I wasn't able to make this interview, so you, you did it on your own, which was lovely for me because I got to listen to it like a punter. Mm. So you chatted to the writer Wendy Erskine. Yes, I had a really good chat with Wendy Erskine, who's a brilliant short story writer from Northern Ireland. Um, it was a, the kind of connection came about because I'm a big fan of her work. She, she brought out a book a few years ago called Sweet Home, which we talk about a lot in this in this episode. But she recently interviewed Paul Muldoon at the Belfast International Arts Festival and Paul Muldoon, of course, edited the Paul McCartney lyrics. Uh, so there was that connection. So we talked a little bit about that. But um, kind of relevant to both of us, because we, we we recently went to the Royal Festival Hall to see Paul Muldoon and Paul McCartney in conversation, chaired by Samira Ahmed. And it was a pretty emotional experience, wouldn't you say, Jack? Yeah, it really was. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. I knew that uh, we were going to hear some yarns being spun hmm. um no music sadly but yeah just to sort of be in the room and to hear um a lot of those those stories some familiar some not so familiar yeah um a new sort of candor from paul that i think we've got over the the last few months or so yeah um or the last year um which is really nice actually and as you say the the overriding thing was uh yeah, it was just it was quite emotional and very special evening just to sort of share the space with with the great man, as you yeah. mentioned in the interview. Yeah, and I think it was, um, you know, as you say, Paul does seem to be looking back so much now, and the lyrics. It's a very, you know, it is almost like his autobiography, isn't it? And it's, mm. you know, it's as, as he said, it's as close to an autobiography as we'll get. And that there is this kind of there was this it was very very moving to just hear him talk about his life. And, of, and as we say, you know, there are yarns we're familiar with, but, it, you know, every time he does the stories, there's always something slightly different. Like So when he talked about Let It Be in the Dream, he talked about it in a very vivid way, about his mother actually being there, and it was nice to see her again, you know. Mm. It was very touching, and, you know, he, he mentioned John as well, and he said a thing which he said a few times before, which is, you know, I wish I'd told him I loved him. Uh, but, mm. you know, to hear him say that on stage was just, 
yeah, it was quite powerful, really, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a really lovely atmosphere as well. It was such a sort of, it was a nice crowd and a real kind of outpouring of of love. Mm. Yeah. Um, I just a standing ovation when he walked on stage, which is yeah. just amazing, you know. But it was brilliant because I, I was waiting outside by the artist entrance. I saw when I got to the Royal Festival Hall, I saw a crowd, kind of crowd gathered around, crowd of people gathered around. And um, mm. there was... Uh, because people were thinking, yeah, because <laughs> you know people thought he was going to walk, you know, come in through that way. I think after about half an hour, I thought maybe he's already in there. But it was mm. just amazing people walking by and going, "Oh, who are you waiting for?" And you go, "Paul McCartney." They go, "Oh my god!" Like that, <laughs> and like people yeah. were just so, and they were just like, "Oh god!" I love, and everyone, you know, their face lit up when you just said his name. Mm. You know, so that was the kind of experience of him when he walked walked on stage was just everyone was like oh my god it's him you yeah. know he's a real person what are you doing here <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah but it was brilliant um yeah it's amazing I he's it. never been on that stage before no well. yeah it's quite surprising yeah and so what what do you think of the lyrics book as well then because we've we've managed to get a, co- a copy of it which we're sharing yeah um <laughs> yeah like a, like a sort of acrimonious couple yeah you're having a to m no you're a to yeah. m. Yeah, no. <laughs> um well i was a little bit when it when it, the news of it kind of broke and there wasn't much detail of, of what it exa- exactly it was i thought it might be in the sort of vein of the dylan ones which uh you know big tomes that just uh, literally lyric books mm. and, um, and nothing else. So I was a little bit, you know, this seems to be a lot of kind of legacy content coming out around mm. the uh, the film. I thought maybe it was a bit of a cash in on that, but um, actually, as you say, it is, you know, it's so, it's so personal mm. and there is this um, kind of new candor to it. There's something that feels slightly finite about it, which, mm. um, it's mixed feelings really because it's quite melancholy and it very much i think as as we mentioned in in another upcoming podcast it is very much has the tone of someone trying to set the record straight Mm. um um maybe um, knowing that there aren't many opportunities left to kind of do that so it felt yeah so that it's tinged with with a sadness in that way but it's Mm. also just full of you know it's just such an unbelievably extraordinary story his life mm, yeah um and it's a brilliant way of doing it because i think it it does work better than than an autobiography because as he says in the introduction you know what can he add that hasn't been written mm. about his life and i don't think he is interested in a sort of like tell all yeah. thing of like finally let's address this thorny issue of how do you sleep or whatever it is yeah, yeah. you know um and it's really beautifully put together there's so much sort of um lost trinkets that are all obviously Mm. in perfect condition um and just the amount of stuff that they kept is amazing linda's photography is brilliant particularly there's a particular um shots of paul on the bakerloo line in 1968 or something Mm. and they're just you know it's him looking absolutely gorgeous as per well i was just going to say there's a photo of george martin in abbey road in about 68 where he looks like the most handsome man who's ever lived <laughs> he's extraordinarily <laughs> handsome george martin but yeah um yeah it's just sort of that sort of iconography of uh, yeah. the time it's brilliant and i actually really enjoyed this stuff a little later on this bit in particular he talks about here today mm, which yeah. is you know again a story we've heard him tell before but not in such detail yeah um and yeah, it's brilliant. It's well, um, yeah, I'm really glad that we that we bought it because yeah. the price put me off a bit. But I'd say it is um, 
you know, if you're a Beatles nerd and a, and a book person, it's a crucial buy. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a great, great, there's a great quote that I really liked, which is Paul says at one point, "John always managed to be a little bit older than me. I never caught up." Yeah. <laughs> which I just really loved that, and it's this idea that he was always that kind of slightly, you know, older brother kind of relationship, mm. which says so much about their relationship. I thought yeah. it was really beautiful. But I, I'm really fascinated by, and we talk about this a lot with Wendy, um, I'm really fascinated by the choice of having Paul Muldoon as the editor, because, mm. you know, Paul Muldoon, is, he's a brilliant poet, but it's quite highbrow and it's quite kind of, well, maybe highbrow is the wrong word, but it's very difficult and quite inaccessible poetry at times. Whereas Paul is yeah. the great communicator, I think you know. You, you yeah, know. you could never accuse Paul of being impenetrable. <laughs> no. So there were some lovely moments, I think, where when we saw them at Royal Festival Hall, where Paul Muldoon was kind of kind of trying to stress. There's kind of a bit of Irish stuff going on in the background here, and Paul McCartney's going, "Yeah, may, maybe, not sure." You know, like, yeah. I think there's kind of, <laughs> but and there, but I think that's what makes the book kind of nice is this kind of there's this push and pull between. Maybe Muldoon saying, oh, maybe there's this allusion to this, you know, and maybe not, you know, but it just creates this. I think, you know, one of the ones I think I mentioned in the podcast is the, the influence of the go-between on She Loves You. It's like, mm. I think that is a little bit of a leap, you know. Yeah. And, and they mentioned it in the, in the the thing, you know, Let It Be is a line from Hamlet as well, you know. Yeah. But there's just this idea that there's all these ideas and books and quotations floating around so some stuff is intentional and some not but you know looking back now you can kind of piece these fragments together and i think that is why muldoon is kind of really good i think because it is yeah. it's all about these illusions and things well i think it's a really it's also a really nice counterpoint to the definitiveness of of what i was saying about paul you know getting this stuff down on mm. on, on paper because i think he does understand that that even if you know he will never be able to control the narrative yeah and because of the nature of the music and stuff and it is relatively opaque a lot of it and yeah it's all it's constantly going to be open to interpretation so yeah yeah it's nice to have that other angle of like well maybe there is this or maybe it's not conscious or yeah. maybe, you know and I, I definitely do prefer this to say like you know christopher ricks wrote a book about dylan and yeah, I, visions and I, of sin. Yeah, it's and I definitely yeah. prefer the kind of Muldoon McCartney approach, where it's like they're not saying this is poetry in mm. inverted commas, you know. And you know, it's when you look at the lyrics on the page, you're only seeing part of the story. But you know, so I, I like the way that they're still treating it as lyrics, but still valuing it as art. But it's not yeah. kind of taking it kind of, you know, too far, kind of going into I don't know post structural. Dianetics, mm. <laughs> which yeah. I just made up, but you know, yeah, yeah, something I think it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But That's... I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a sort of suggestion with books like the Christopher Ricks thing, like calling something poetry somehow mm. elevates it, yeah, uh, you know, in, into a sort of, you know, whatever it is, a more pure art form. Mm. But you know, their songs are songs, and they always will be. And, yeah, That's know, the other one I made a note of is saying the influence of long day's journey into night on a hard day's night is like mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, maybe, pretty, maybe. Pretty tenuous yeah. I mean, you can never rule it out you can never rule it out yeah yeah but uh, or yeah. did ringo just say it so, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but um what's yeah. the other another couple of lo lovely thing in the um on uh, the royal festival hall was that detail about paul saying he was an angel investor on joe orton's loot 
which mm. I don't think had been revealed before, which was fascinating, wasn't it? Yeah. But that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And a, a well, great... He said he didn't know what it was. <laughs> didn't know <laughs> yeah. what an angel in Well, he said I was an angel, like and Samira Ahmed was like, what, what do you mean? He played an angel in a play. And he's like, no, that's <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Mm. Um, the other lovely discussion was about buses, which are obviously integral to Paul McCartney. Mm. Paul McCartney's kind of lyrical vision. Um, yeah. Talked a lot about buses. And it was funny because we, you know, we, after it, after the event ended, we tried to find a drink in Soho <laughs> with not much success because uh, uh, everywhere was absolutely packed. We walked um, walked quite a long way. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I ended um, up getting the the the, the old favourite one seven six back home, and I thought it was just really nice to end up that night with a just really lovely. You know, sometimes the night bus can be not very nice, but sometimes yeah, it can. I was on the N three and it wasn't that nice, right? But sometimes <laughs> you can kind of just you do just kind of get into that little cocoon and you kind of see the city go by. And I was listening to mm. the song "Night Bus" by Burial, which is great. Oh, nice. And but it was just I felt like that you know this is kind of what Paul's going on about in a way, isn't it? You know, to be able to just see the world go by. And I thought it was yeah. a nice way to end that evening. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, we should also say hi to um, some of the listeners of the podcast that came and chatted to us, Nathan and Jacobs. And uh, Nathan sadly tested positive for COVID, so couldn't make it to Paul McCartney, which is gutting, I imagine. Um, but we uh, we chatted to Jacob outside the venue and hope you enjoy your personal Beatles mugs. Yeah, and uh, it was very nice to meet you. Yeah, it was lovely to meet you, and we even signed the White Album for you, which felt very sacrilegious, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so much negative space to yeah. scroll on. Um, yeah. We got an email as well that I thought um, we got at the end of the last series, but it was it was a really nice one, so I thought I would um, dig it out. So this is one it is from Eric Capacella um, from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, who says I'm a huge fan of the podcast as well as a lifelong Beatles obsessive. This is a lovely long email, Eric, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I assure you we did both read it and really enjoyed mm, yeah. it. But, um, thank you so much. Some, some key bits that um, I thought were really nice. Um, I know I've been listening to Beatles songs since the day I was born, but one of my eldest, uh, earliest memories is hearing Within You, Without You on a family road trip. I remember being enamoured with the sound of that song, not necessarily the music or the lyrics in particular, but the sound itself. Does that make George Martin my first favourite Beatle? Mm. My wife and I named our daughter Abby. She's seven and currently learning Let It Be on her keyboard. You Never Give Me Your Money is next. Amazing. Um, and last but not least, one day in 2003, I was walking out of the Saatchi building in 375 Hudson Street in New York City around 6 p.m. Who walked across my field of vision at that exact moment? None other than, do you want to have a guess, Robin? Well, I've read the email, but... Right, okay, you, well, it's yeah. Paul McCartney. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's NYC, so people were actually very respectful of his privacy, or yeah. privacy, as they say. Um, most were sort of looking, gawking. I almost walked in the opposite direction, but knew I'd regret it for the rest of my life. So I scurried after him and told him I just wanted to shake his hand. We shook hands, he asked how I was doing, and I said something along the lines of doing well it's good to see you my only regret was not asking him if he had time to grab a pint at mr Dene's right round the corner sadly closed down since mm. um almost 20 years later i'm still in the process of writing a song called hudson and houston the cross streets where i met him 
Amazing. The saying goes, never meet your heroes, but I'd like to write a song about meeting him before it's too late, even if it's just a quick hello, goodbye. Mm. Thanks for reading and keep up the great work. Thanks very much, Eric. What a lovely email. Yeah, thank you so much, Eric. That's brilliant. We did have some time last week to think what just what would happen if we did bump into Paul walking mm. through the green bar yeah. <laughs> out of the Skylon toilets. I think that's um, the right thing. It's just, well, maybe not during COVID era, but, you know, a handshake and you know yeah yeah so uh thanks very much for listening um we don't have a patreon anymore uh because we're not doing regular um regular exercise regular episodes (laughs) i'm not (laughs) (laughs) regular exercise at the gym um we thought we would um you know it's probably not giving you great bang for your buck if we're not here every week so we've, we've sort of closed that down um and if you didn't get a chance i know a few people have written in saying that they still want to hear the bonus ones but um they haven't they can't get them now because the Patreon uh, has been closed, but there will be an opportunity. I think we'll probably, they'll see the light of day um, sort of not behind the paywall in the future. Yeah. So uh, hold tight, keep an eye on your feeds. And maybe when we've got a little bit of a lull, we'll, um, we'll stick some of those out. Mm. So, um, and a huge, huge thank you for everyone who did join the Patreon um, yeah, because it, uh, yeah, made us be able to make the podcast we wanted to make this series mm. um, and not have worry about losing too much money, yeah. <laughs> um, which was, which really lovely. And it allowed us to do, you know, things like the Abbey Road stuff we couldn't have done. Um, Mm. without it so um thank you so much um for now we'll be back with a a little post amble at the end but enjoy the robin's brilliant interview with wendy erskine a quick note before this episode starts i wanted to say in the introduction that i thought it was really interesting that paul mccartney's lyrics book begins the kind of epigraph is from hamlet and it is um to thine own self be true but um as anyone who's seen clueless knows that um hamlet doesn't say that it's that old guy polonius who is not the most honest character in the play i thought it's kind of quite interesting about uh, that paul should choose to have that at the intro because it says quite a lot about his kind of inscrutability i think uh but anyway yeah wendy erskine coming up it's not the most beatlesy chat lots of chat about books and paul muldoon in particular but um it's a really interesting episode and um just a word about the sound quality we were using wendy's laptop mic so it sounds a little bit roomier than normal but uh your ears will soon adjust enjoy the show are you ready to just go, or do you want to do you want to get a drink or anything? I, mean, I, I've got a bit. I have got a tequila. Yeah. Oh, tequila! Nice. Mm-hmm. I've, yeah. I've got a Stella, not quite Stella. As well, that's classy, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> is that like sipping tequila then, or is it's, it? Kind of... Yeah, yeah. I never. I'm no good at necking things, so I'm yeah. never really good into that. So I kind of like sipping a, a tequila. Sometimes I'll have it with orange, and sometimes I'll just sip it. I like mescal. Nice. They're lovely to sip. As yeah. Well, yeah, so, yeah. 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 That's me. Great. Awesome. Right. Right. I'm going to be professional and pretend I'm on Radio 4 or something. (laughs) So, so Wendy Erskine is a Northern Irish writer. Her first collection of short stories, Sweet Home, was published in 2018 and was longlisted for the Gordon Byrne Prize. Her next collection, Dance Move, is published next year. And I came across Wendy when someone on Twitter was recommending collections of short stories and Sweet Home came highly recommended. So I bought it and was absolutely blown away. But anyway, welcome to your own personal Beatles, Wendy Erskine. Thank you very much, Robin. Thanks for inviting me. 
to join you. The, the new book, Dance Move, is out next year. So what what can we kind of expect from that? Is it is it kind of different from Sweet Home or is it kind of... It's another collection of short stories, right? It's another collection of short stories. So it's another eleven mm. short stories, and essentially, mm. I don't think I don't think it's it's not a it's not a radical departure from mm. uh, Sweet Home at all. So if you like Sweet Home, you might like this. And if you didn't like Brilliant. Sweet Home, you probably won't like this. <laughs> um, so it's the same <laughs> the same sorts of people with the same sorts yeah. of uh, with the same sorts of um, issues and difficulties, and you know, yeah. lives that are that are complicated and. So yeah, well, that's what I love about your stories. I'm, we'll get to the Beatles in a bit, but yeah, yeah. that's what I love about your stories is they're they're very, so well observed and they're full of nuance about the in the way people talk and the way people communicate, and they're all kind of have this quality where that nothing's ever quite resolved or you know or where my favorite one I think is the the story itself, Sweet Home. Oh, you like that ends. one, do you? Yeah. yeah. Why do you like <laughs> it? Well, I just I just love that idea of it starts with this kind of image of building this community centre and the, it talks about the weeds and they cut back the weeds and it ends with the weeds kind of growing back and there's this mm. sense of just nature carries on while people just carry on, you know, falling apart and getting back together again. And, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's just this nice way of kind of zooming out at the end and there's this kind of, I like your stories because they're sort of slices of life and you kind of, you see a little snapshot and then the camera pans away again kind of yeah thing. that's lovely that's really nice yeah. that, that kind of was what i was hoping might happen with that one that mm. it would be yeah we've got all our messy human complications but you know yeah the knotweed keeps on growing and <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> that's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah well yeah well um so I, I i started reading sweet home when uh i was sort of trying to not read about the beatles for once and um in one of the that, stories. That would you do a lot. You would you would read everything. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, since we started the podcast, I've been trying. It's been basically been a process of realizing how little I know about the Beatles. So it's oh, kind no. of constantly trying to revise, kind of <laughs> as if it was for an exam, kind of thing. So it was a it was a nice break from the Beatles. But then I sort of realized the Beatles are completely inescapable because you mentioned Rocky Raccoon in one story. Um, but you also you mentioned music a lot in your stories, and there's a brilliant story of yours will come on to about Gil, a fictional musician called Gil Courtney but mm-hmm. I just wondered what kind of what's what what how does what's the place of music in your life like how does it inform your work and how important is music to you music is music's really really important to me um and it's probably what I'll notice loads more than say for example you know a tree or a cloud formation or or, or whatever and so you know, whereas some writers that might then become an important part of the story, you know, some aspect of the natural world, whatever way some leaves were dropping or whatever, I'm probably going to notice the music blasting out of a car mm. as it drove past the tree or whatever. So that's just naturally what I'm going to be interested in. And I suppose I'm kind of interested in music as just part of the fabric of people's lives. Robin, so it's not really trying to write about you know, characters listening to cool music or anything or, or anything like that. Um, it's 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 kind of just that that the, that the music is part and parcel of um, of of human experience. I suppose um, I would I would say the story that you're talking about that one, um, which is about a a person who has a possibly a religious experience or possibly. Um, it's it's a drug induced experience um, in a hotel, 
you know, they open they open the drawer in the hotel and there's a Gideon's Bible. And I mean, I've never opened a drawer in a hotel and seen a Gideon's Bible without thinking of Rocky Raccoon. Yeah, I, mean, I know, it's, yeah. a, it's a Pavlovian response. I mean, it, I have never not thought of that song. But then I suppose you're kind of stuck whenever you think, but this guy in this story called Andy, I imagine him, he's about 24, about 25, and you kind of think, right, okay, I'm presenting this as his response when he opened the when he opened the drawer that he thought about Rocky Raccoon and was trying to get the narrative in his head, you know, who shot who and what was mm, the mythology yeah. and so on. So you think, right, is that viable for a 24-year-old to be thinking of Rocky Raccoon or am I imposing my own <laughs> um view of things and my, my own worldview and my, my own response onto a 24-year-old guy. But I think yeah. that's the thing with the Beatles. It's entirely feasible that, that this that this 24-year-old guy could also could also think that. You know, there's mm. some other groups that I could have picked. Um and I don't think I don't mean the Gideon's Bible, but I mean in terms of a, a response to something else. It wouldn't have worked because yeah. it would be so obviously me imposing my yeah. own my own um likes or whatever, but I think with the Beatles, that's absolutely the case that a guy of 24 could look and could think that. Absolutely, yeah, I think so. But, I mean, you are right. I mean, there are people, you know, I I, I remember, you know, I met someone who I used to work with who hadn't heard of Neil Young. I'm not saying that as a critical way, but you'd be surprised by how not well-known things that we think of as being well-known are, you know. Well, I it's think like... yeah, that, that's, that's the thing, and it's very kind of, you know, it can be really presumptuous to... Mm. to to assume that people are going to, um, you know, have the same reference points as you. Like I can remember mm. talking to somebody and they were talking about the birds, the birds. And for me, the birds is absolutely the, the birds, the, the band. But they mm. were meaning this Aristophanes thing. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I would never in a million years <laughs> yeah, that's have, not... have, have ever come up with that you know yeah, maybe, maybe that's why they spelled it with a y just to distinguish just, that yeah it? just yes all these people <laughs> that could be confused yeah <laughs> I, I love that so in in that story i mean the story is called the last supper but I, I mean the the religious element to it for me i mean obviously it's set in the church in a little cafe in the church but it mm-hmm. i mean it doesn't that that element that this this was this kind of revelatory experience for him. Mm-hmm. It's quite it's quite submerged I, for for me. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't know. I like that. I mean, could you talk more about that story? Because it's, it's, it's really quite a powerful story. And it's also very funny. Yeah. Well. well, yeah. So this this story is set in a in a cafe that is for. Um, it's a cafe that I've I've imagined this cafe is run by a church in collaboration with a, a charity, a sort of a, a mental health charity. And I don't know if you have cafes like that in in London, Robin, but there would be quite a few cafes around here. Um, that would be of that that would be of that ilk that they're kind of uh, um, that they've got a sort of social function um, that they're not they're not just simply um, businesses and um, I can remember one day I, I got migraines a lot I remember one day I had a, a really bad migraine I ended up going for a walk and at the end I ended up in one of these cafes and to me the place just seemed so I always get it's after after a migraine has passed for me, everything is just so unbelievably vivid and saturated, and life is just high. And I remember just thinking about this cafe that, that this I'm going to set a story in a place like this because everything seemed heightened. You know, everything seemed, you know, just really kind of every, everything seemed so meaningful. So basically, um, I was thinking of. Um, 
So I, I was thinking of a cafe like that. And I was thinking also of um, the whole idea of small kind of apocalypses, the idea that what causes people to kind of maybe be tipped over the edge or what causes, you know, any kind of breakdown, it might not necessarily be precipitated by something huge. So I wanted to think about um, people's world, in a sense, coming to an end. And what was going to happen would be this cafe was going to be jeopardised and this cafe was going to come to an end. And that had major, major, major repercussions for um, the people who, who worked in it. Um, so basically... This cafe is run by this young man, Andy. He's trying his best. Um, all the people who work in it have all got various difficulties in life. Two of the very young people who work in it end up having sex in the toilets. Um, and this then causes a whole chain of events that really means that this cafe that has um, really been a kind of a shelter or sanctuary for the people that work in it is totally jeopardised. So I was kind of thinking, there's a couple of things. I was trying to weave in stuff to do with Yates, the last, the, um, the second coming. So it was all, there's lots of stuff there to do with you know, um, collapse and things not being able to hold and so on. Um, but I was also thinking there's a Dutch artist I really, really like called Morris van Tang, and he's got a it's a beautiful little sort of 3D piece of a little kind of birdhouse in the middle of a very bleak garden. And I was imagining the cafe as that, as this kind of little shelter. But anyway, at the end, it's also Last Supper, and it's kind of like these people, instead of having... They're having a kind of a communion, but it's kind of cheap old non-alcoholic kava. And yeah, really and Battenberg. Really yeah. Battenberg cake. Yeah. And this yeah. is around the table because it's all going to, it's all going to end. Yeah. yeah. It's done with such a light touch, though, as well, because I love that kind of, we know everyone in the cafe has got their histories and their problems, but it's done so lightly. Like, there's a, a brilliant bit where the girl's asked to roll her sleeves up and then they just go, oh, no, don't actually. And I you kind of, I guess that maybe there's some self-harm or something like that going on. Yeah. But it's done so lightly and it's not, you know... Yeah. It's, it's a explain, really brilliant yeah, story. Thank you. Kind of a hoping, I suppose, with these stories, I suppose different stories work different ways, but you're kind of hoping that you've got a reader that kind of meets you halfway, you know, and it's mm, going to supply yeah. quite a lot of ideas themselves. And yeah. I was talking to my friend the other day and he was saying about a... There's a metaphor that... Um, it's actually George Eliot and Middlemarch uses of, of a spider's web, but she's talking about courtship. But I think it works really well for stories, for short stories. The idea that it's like a spider's web, but the structure so dependent on the gaps and the structure so dependent on the space as much as mm. it is in any of the actual web. Yeah. Um, you, you crush it all together, it's it's absolutely nothing. And yet when you look at it, it can, it can hold quite a lot but it's all to do with the gaps and the spaces where other people are inserting their own meanings and their own implications and so on. Yeah, so, yeah. that's brilliant. I mean, there's a great, in the Paul, in the Paul McCartney interview he did with Adam Buxton, I think he, he said he was reading Proust at the time, <laughs> which is quite <laughs> impressive. But he said something about, I like it when a, when a book likes you, you know, which is that idea of uh, the book meeting you halfway for the reader as well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You, you recently interviewed Paul Muldoon at the mm-hmm. Belfast International Arts Festival. And um, Paul Muldoon obviously has edited the um, Paul McCartney lyrics. Mm-hmm. And we saw both Pauls. Um, at the Royal Festival Hall, uh, Jack and I did um, last week, which was brilliant. Was it but, amazing? Um, really good. It was really good. It was like quite emotional just being in the same room as, as him. You know, it was just more just to be able to see him and to share that space with him. And it was hosted by Samira Ahmed as well. And she asked some really, really interesting questions, which I, because I think when you follow Paul, there are lots of Paul McCartney, there are lots of questions he gets asked a lot. and he kind of often does the kind of same stories, but there's some really interesting questions. Like, you know, she asked him about dreams. Did he dream of Liverpool and things like that? And I thought that was kind of really nice. What did he but, say? I mean, did he? Did he? Did he say? Yeah, that? he did. And he said yeah. he sort of had classic kind of, you know, Kafkaesque dreams where he kind of he always wanted, always wanted to go to some place and he couldn't quite get there and stuff. But it was all familiar terrain for, of Liverpool. It was all recognisably Liverpool and stuff. And, and then kind of led on to kind of the famous songs that were inspired by dreams like yesterday and let it be obviously but um i'm interested in the muldoon connection because we were talking about like writers there who you know where you're kind of meeting the reader halfway muldoon has got a reputation as being quite a difficult poet i mean i do it's kind of very dense poetry so many illusions and kind of play playing on words and multiple multiple meanings of words and things and very intricate rhyming but so what what do you think and I don't know if this came up in your conversation with Paul Muldoon but what 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 do you think the link is there with Muldoon and McCartney Well yeah I mean what we ended up talking we I was I was there to talk to him about Heidi Scalp the new collection mm. with um, with Faber which is you know a lot of poetry as you say that is it really kind of um all sorts of really interesting and unusual forms and um, repetitions and, and and puns and you know in in some way you would you would say not not super not super accessible. Um, mm. But what we ended up talking about a bit was we ended up talking about um, we ended up talking a bit about song lyrics, um, mm. and we also ended up talking a bit about. Um, it, we ended up talking a bit as well, I suppose, about um, well, we talked a lot about about poetry, um, but he was he was said he said I'm sure he's, they, they probably talked a little bit as well that evening about how he kind of got connected with um, with Paul McCartney in terms of this mm. mutual friend that they that they had who had wanted him to to work thought they should work together and and so on. But I suppose one of the things that really that really interested me was that. Um, 
I've read Paul. Um, Paul Muldoon was kind of saying quite a lot to do with the, the form and structure, that form and structure, it's because I was quite interested in that, the kind of diversity of forms that that, that he was using. Um, mm. And he was saying that form in and of itself is totally irrelevant. Um, it's only whenever the, the, the form is is helping to um, put forward a certain sort of certain sort of an idea. Um, mm. And I didn't get to ask him something that I really, really wanted to ask him, which was, you know, he said that he 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 thought that the problem with the way poetry was sometimes taught in school was um, that people were taught that what it what it means is not actually what it means that there is in a sense this other sort of subtext that you have to kind of um, unlock mm. and I find that really I find that really interesting because I do actually teach um, kids I I do teach poetry to kids quite quite a lot and I know. Yeah. Robin, that that's their response quite a lot of the time. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll sort of nudge each other and say, do you get this one? Um, mm. Do you get it? Uh, in the sense that there's something to there's something to get um, and that whatever it is in the surface is not actually what it's really, really about. Um, and so Paul Muldoon was saying, in fact, that's the wrong way around, what things are about. What, what the poem is about is actually what the poem is about. Um, and that's your starting point as opposed to looking for some sort of sub, some sort of subtext. But it kind of led me on to think about um, song lyrics and how people are kind of, I think a lot of people maybe think, maybe find that poetry makes them feel sort of slightly foolish because they mm. don't get, they sometimes don't get what it is they think they should be getting. Whereas I don't think many people think that about song lyrics whatsoever. So in a sense, people have got a much, they've got much more tolerance of ambiguity when it comes to songs. Yeah. They actually yeah. really quite enjoy that. Yeah. Whereas with with poetry, um, it's seen as something kind of um, baffling, or kind of elitist, maybe, or like you, you know, you need to have read these books to read this book kind of thing. It can be quite off putting, mm -hmm. I suppose, for some people. But I think one thing that I do like about Muldoon and I've been reading Howdy Scalp as well yeah it's like how even if it is very dense with illusions mm -hmm. he's still he's not like in an ivory tower kind of you know there's stuff about he might you know he mentions playing Red Dead Redemption yeah it's just yeah yeah so it's like he, he does have that way of crossing this kind of for want of a better word like high and low brow kind of thing so and they are enjoyable there is the stuff that made me laugh in there uh there's a bit where he's on a plane and someone asks him if he has any food allegories you know <laughs> which that was really funny and i think that's really interesting because i think you know there's a there's a poem a very long poem in there called american standard mm -hmm. which is obviously like full of echoes of t.s Eliot's the wasteland mm -hmm. and it's a poem which i read and it's one of those things where you read and it's like you're not sure ev you're getting everything but it is generating this picture in your mind where it is about the Wild West and it is about Trump mm -hmm. and it is about the kind of loss of meaning in that in America and that at this time, maybe. So it's like, even though there's, that's not explicitly there and even though you're not getting everything, it is creating this 
image in your mind, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in a way that probably couldn't be expressed any other way. You and, know? <laughs> yeah, and as you say, it's it's pretty democratic in terms of in terms of the references. You know, I'm mm. not maybe going to get some of I me. Mean, I I was a person who didn't get Aristophanes whenever the whenever a person was talking about the birds. You know, yeah. Um, there, there's going to be stuff that I don't get, but I'll probably pick up on the Bowie. I'll probably pick up on the Trent Reznor. I'll probably pick yeah. up on you know the 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 uh, the, the you know, the PlayStation games, the Xbox games or whatever. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And the interesting thing, I think, with referencing The Wasteland, it's like, I think The Wasteland is such an interesting poem because it's like when you read it now, I think it's hard to get a grasp of how revolutionary it was at the time. Because nowadays, when you look at it, you go, oh, yeah, it's like song lyrics. And like, mm -hmm. we don't expect song lyrics to make sense in the same mm -hmm. way, in the kind of literal, literal linear way. You know, but I think you can see the influence of Elliot in the way, as you said, we kind of don't expect song lyrics to have the kind of straightforward meanings or to kind of, they might take you from one place to another really quickly and it doesn't really matter kind of what, you know, you can have... Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. As, as a chorus, you know, it doesn't yeah, really matter. You know? Nobody, nobody has a, nobody has an issue with any of any of those things um, mm. at all. And in fact, the person that probably reads loads into song lyrics is the one that's regarded as the unusual individual in this household. Yeah. Anyway, you know, yeah. I'm always doing, I'm always pointing out things like, oh well, how, how is why is he saying that whenever he's just said he's moved into another room and then he's now talking yeah. to her in the same. You know, that's just seen as being tediously um, pedantic and and, mm. and so on. No, I wondered. There's one of one of the um, sort of sequences in in Heidi Scalp that I I thought was absolutely wonderful was the the one about the um, the sequence about the band um, about the band poems, um, which were all on um, a sequence of poems that are all on um, art pieces. Um, mm. Did you read Did you read that? That's I'm ashamed to say I haven't got that far yet. I have since read this section and it's very very good and very very rude. Well, it's like um, it's tw it's twenty twenty three band poems, but each poem is about is about a painting, um, and I kind of this is another thing I didn't I didn't ask him about, um, but I kind of thought I wonder if I'll get even more out of this if I go and look at the paintings that the poems are written about, um, and I kind of I kind of did it kind of helped me, and I kind of thought about that looking at song lyrics without the actual melody you know yeah. what to what extent you know that kind of um that kind of writing where you're writing about something visual to what extent does it actually help you to have the visual thing here yeah. are those two things kind of quite symbiotic in terms of you know the meaning that's created mm. yeah but they're great they're they're super they're brilliant very funny as well great i mean there's a brilliant sequence it's in hay Paul Muldoon's earlier collection, which is all about each. There's a sequence of poems about albums. Uh, do you know that one? It's, I don't really know. Because no. there's one about the White Album in there, which is really, really interesting. Although it's hard to work out how it's about the White Album, but it's obviously about his kind of associations. I think of hearing it for the first time. I mean, should I read it? Or is that going to be kind of what I said? Yeah, no, I'd love that. It's, yeah. it's very short. Okay, so this is this is. The Beatles, The Beatles, by Paul Muldoon. Though that was the winter when, late each night, I'd put away Cicero or Caesar and pour new milk into an old saucer for the hedgehog, 
which when it showed up right on cue would set its nose down like that flight back from the US back from the yes sir back <laughs> from the back from the USSR I'd never noticed the play on album and white okay and I had to <laughs> I had to tweet that out because I've never understood what he meant by that but the 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 the, the, the riddle is album is latin for without color it's actually Latin for white color or whiteness, and it comes from the adjective albus, meaning white, which is also uh, part of the word albumen for egg white. I am the egg man, wheels within wheels, eggs within eggs. Right. So white album is a kind of punning thing. Right. Well, <laughs> which uh, is you learn something new every day. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know yeah. that, so that's, that's great. very good. That's good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, it's great. That is great. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, the, the, you know, there's not kind of, he, he's not saying that that was a deliberate pun. And I think Muldoon with McCartney is often saying it doesn't matter if this is intentional stuff, mm -hmm. whether there's illusions, it's kind of seeped in in other ways. What, what what do you think of kind of McCartney's lyrics in, in, in general? Have you had a chance to look through the lyrics book at all? Or? I haven't. I haven't had the chance to look through. I haven't had the chance to look through the um the lyrics book, no. But you know I suppose I, I I like I like all sorts of different songs for all sorts of different reasons, but I do like songs where I think I'm given a world only to obviously this is the answer short story writer you know I like I like I like songs where I think I'm given a world not the only sort of song I like but the sort of song where you're given a world in two two and a half three minutes that sort of vignette style um lyric I absolutely I absolutely love you know are there is there any specific Beatles ones that summon that world or create a world for you not even just Paul McCartney ones, but say for example, um, No Reply. I think it's I think it's wonderful for capturing something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's so powerful, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's like almost punky, you know. It's it great. is. And you've got like that sort of chiming, you got that quality. It's like that, it's I saw the light, it's mm. a lie. You know, you've got you've got that almost it's like a it's like a slant, right? It's like an almost mm. It's a repeat mm. there, like a, a chiming repeat of, of a particular sound, um, and I I think that I think that just works so so brilliantly. Yeah, you know? and it's quite weird that kind of I suppose it's a classic Lennon thing of being sounding quite ecstatically saying something quite depressing yeah. or something, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> yeah. which is great. Yeah, yeah. But uh, do you think I mean McCartney in the lyrics book it comes across like very. Um, I mean, his poems communicate to people, don't they? They're very direct, you know. So that's what I think is interesting about the Muldoon relationship is because, you know, Muldoon's a brilliant poet, but maybe I don't know why it took me so long to express quite a basic idea here, which is that McCartney's lyrics are quite easy to understand, and Muldoon's poems are quite difficult to understand, although they are enjoyable. Anyway, on we go. But like McCartney isn't quite as dense with the illusions, let's say, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, I think I think that I think that Paul Muldoon must be open to an incredible range of different sorts of um, of different sorts of writing and different sorts of different sorts of work. And like, um, I know that he's been really he's been really really supportive of the of of what I do, and has been really really kind about it. And would would say that he really likes it. Now, by no means am I saying that I am in any way like. Paul McCartney, right? Yeah, you can um, say it if you want. But, but, <laughs> I mean, I, it, I am not making that connection at all. But it's what I do is very, very different to what to what Paul Muldoon does, and mm-hmm. yet um, he he can he can kind of see something that he likes in in mine, which really doesn't make um, do, doesn't. It's not as formally experimental, even as as many even short story writers are. Um, but you can see something there, I suppose. So you know, he talked very much about you know people people at that event in Belfast were asking about oh you know Dylan winning the Nobel and you know are songwriters ever really poets and all the rest of it and I think you know he was pretty much saying well you know Paul McCartney is um, mm. artist as a poet. Mm. You know? Yeah. What I like about the book is is that it kind of it doesn't treat them as like sacred texts. Like they say in the introduction, you know, we're very light with the punctuation, mm-hmm. which I do think works with song lyrics. You don't want it to be punctuated exactly like a poem because it's mm-hmm. not a poem, mm-hmm. you know, but certainly some of the, like she's leaving home, obviously, Eleanor Rigby, mm-hmm. you know, another day. They are beautiful vignettes, you know, they mm-hmm. are, you know, they're people and you can mm-hmm. see them, you know, <laughs> they're mm-hmm. very vivid, you know. There's a, there was a great bit when we saw them, at the Royal Festival Hall and Paul McCartney was saying, you know, some sometimes Paul Muldoon would say, what about when I saw her standing there, you say, you know, she, the way she looked was beyond compare. Is that a reference to this Irish ballad? And Paul <laughs> McCartney would be like, uh, no. <laughs> no, sadly not. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes there is that kind of, I think it's in the bit about she loves you. Paul McCartney saying like, you know, it could it, maybe this was a reference to the go between by LP Hartley, and it's like maybe that's a little bit of a stretch. You know? Do you find that intro? Does that in, in, do you find that kind of that kind of background interesting, Robin? Just purely because it's an it's interesting factor, it's an interesting perception or whatever, or do you, does it affect how you that whole sort of contextual aspect? Does it affect how you respond to the music? Um. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it does. I think. Yeah. Does it? Yeah. I think, yeah, I think having some of that historical, and obviously it doesn't. You know, as we were saying with the kind of white album pun thing, it doesn't really matter if stuff wasn't intended. It's nice mm-hmm. to kind of have that kind of ability to think of the kind of stew of things that was going on in the '60s. So little things mm-hmm. would have made their impact in the song lyrics in different mm-hmm. ways. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. say something like. Um, she said she said right whenever whenever I whenever I first moved to, I would have moved whenever I moved to Glasgow I started going out with a guy and I can remember us, him saying you know what I what I said to him what's your favorite Beatles Beatles song and he said she said she said and um I remember then listening to it loads because that's what he um that's what he said his favorite Beatles song was um and I can remember, I can remember at the time, you know, he was he was somebody that I don't mean I was a country bumpkin exactly, but I wouldn't I wouldn't have grown up in a in a house where people really listened to lots of um, 
interesting in inverted commas music or really would have read tons whereas he he already was a real sophisticate in terms of what he listened to um and you know the amount that he'd read and you know probably a lot more cultured really than 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 i was and i can remember just always thinking that you're making me feel like i've never been born (laughs) i can just remember thinking this is very this is very very appropriate in the sense that i i kind of do feel like that and that song of of of, much more than so much i've ever listened to that song has stayed with me over the decades and i've also felt that in the way that i was saying like the rocky raccoon i'm always going to think of that when i see gillian's bible loads of times whenever people just in life generally not i don't mean to do with you know cultural stuff you know, whatever, literature or whatever. But just when anybody's ever been sort of telling me about something, an experience that is something so far out of my kind of, um, my own kind of um, experience, uh, that always is a song that plays in my head. Yeah. You're making me feel like I've never been born. And so, like, saying no in the details about that and, you know, it was your man Fonda or whatever, the the near-death experience, all that's kind of interesting, right? But yeah. and it is it is really really interesting, but it's also as well kind of peripheral at the same yeah. time to my appreciation of it. I suppose I would say. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it is weird. There's some there are those kind of real personal associations, definitely, mm-hmm. particularly with Beatles songs. Yeah, mm-hmm. like Blue Jay Way will always remind me of my brother. Why? Because well, we just yeah. used to we got the Magical Mystery Tour CD. And we just like we couldn't believe how good Blue Jay Way was, yeah. Because it was like music we were listening to at the time in terms of it was like really kind of you know trippy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just felt part of all that, and it just like you know, it was just yeah, quite magical listening to it. Yeah. So it always always reminds me of him. You talked about your kind of upbringing there. So when did you first hear the Beatles then? Do you remember? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, so so my my parents, you know, they didn't really listen to... They didn't really listen to music as as such. They would have had music on the radio and and so on. And I remember whenever we we would get like a stereo, or we would. I remember we got this long sort of this gramophone player thing, but it was kind of like these were kind of like um, artifacts or whatever, as opposed to a means of playing music. Um, but I had an uncle, and my dad's brother was a massive was a was a, a massive music fan and he had a little he had a little room so he was much younger than my well he was much younger than my dad so say whenever he was in his 20s um he would have been looking after me and my brother sometimes and we would always ask uh, so he had this wee tiny attic room he, he was really into Bo Diddley you know Bo Diddley memorabilia the Bo Diddley shirt in the wall there was like big Brando wild one poster um there was uh, one of the stones maracas there was all sorts of stuff and we we always asked him to play yellow submarine and um oh, chuck berry my dingling right <laughs> this guy who had you know really brilliant musical taste was very very accommodating these two kids that just wanted to yeah. hear um yellow submarine and my dingling over and over again so there was there was that but then um 
so that was that was sort of my first introduction to the um to the Beatles. But then um I don't know if you you can remember this absolutely dreadful thing, Stars on Forty Five. Can you remember that? Stars on Forty Five, um the the Beatles. Oh the medley. But the medley, yeah. Well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have heard it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. I think it's like a Dutch group. And they yeah. it was just session musicians and, and people that sounded like people that sounded like the Beatles and that that came out and I just remember it was massively, massively um popular and people were like, Wow, all the Beatles songs are so catchy because it was just yeah. it was an absolutely dreadful thing because I think it was like <laughs> it was like Sparks. I think it started off with Sparks, Beat the Clock and Funky mm. Town and then just went into it went into Sugar Sugar for about ten seconds and then just hit a Beatles medley. So it was absolutely yeah. awful. I'm sure nobody <laughs> I'm sure nobody else in the podcast has brought up this dreadful thing. But it was kind of it did give people quite a taste for the Beatles. I just remember thinking they were basically contemporary. Um mm. I don't know if, if if where I live just outside Belfast was very, very different to other places at that time, but it was kind of like um if you if you went out, so say for example you went to one of these local hotels where they would have had a disco, they would mm. have played maybe um they would have they would have played something like, I don't know, Shannon let the music play, followed by the yeah. Beatles, followed by something else. It wasn't mm. kind of compartmentalized or, or whatever. So we would have easily been dancing to the Beatles. Um, mm. you know, some things from those early albums or whatever. Mm-hmm. you know whenever i was a teenager and also i don't know if anybody's ever mentioned this but i used to listen to a thing on radio luxembourg called beatles bonanza um and it was again you know this is early 1980s it was a guy called um rob jones or rob rob G, rob jones maybe and it was about three hours of just non-stop beatles on a monday night wow yeah. Uh, or no, Tuesday night, Tuesday night. Monday night was a thing called Battle of the Bands. So it would be really, really okay. weird. They would like pit, like, say, Steely Dan versus Velvet Underground. And wow. they would just they would just play them. Um That's so amazing. Yeah. yeah. People, people would phone in and give reasons as to why, you know, they thought Steely Dan Bell and Velvet Underground or whatever. So that was Monday night. And then Tuesday night was just three hours of Beatles. Um, and was it was the Beatles Bonanza, was it? Com- completely throughout their career, or was it completely was it... throughout their career? Wow. It's completely yeah. throughout their career, um, and just all sorts of just completely throughout the career, and all sorts of you know just stuff from all the albums, um, yeah. and people made requests, and um, that was that was it. So that Amazing. would have been. So to be honest, you know, I I I think the Beatles were probably pretty much to the forefront of my musical experience as a yeah. as a teenager because that was a pretty weekly thing for a few for a few years and they just would yeah. have been played just would have been played all the time really and so there wasn't ever a sense of them that some guests we have say were in the 80s the Beatles were a little bit uncool or something and when no but then I was in a quite an uncool place Belfast. <laughs> um, so maybe maybe if you've got some of these people coming on that are from, you know, metropolises or whatever, they seem they never right. really never really seem very uncool. And also another thing as well was that like say for example, eighties Belfast, another thing, sixties probably would have sixties were really popular sort of mod revival mm. thing jam all of that you know so then that also would have fed into people thinking the Beatles were really pretty pretty good. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah, no, I would never have never have thought that that people would have been saying they were on kill. 
Well, I'd, I'd love to talk about your, your your collection, Sweet Home. There's a brilliant story in there, which is called 77 Pop Facts You Didn't Know About Gil Courtney. And it takes the form of a kind of, uh, well, yeah, a series of almost, well, almost kind of smash hits style, but like slightly more kind of sophisticated, I suppose. But although smash hits was very sophisticated. But I mean, it's a kind of series of facts about this fictional musician, Gil Courtney. Uh, who grew up in Belfast, and I just love it's so good, and it, it reminds me of a lot of other musicians because, in this, as the facts progress, we realise he kind of led quite a tragic life and became very reclusive. And like I've got a few people who I think it might be about, but do you want to do you want to sort of tell the story about how he came up with that idea and the influences behind it? Yeah, sure, sure, Robin. Yes, I mean. I kind of, uh, I suppose what I'm naturally drawn to are the people that things haven't worked out for. So mm. every single time they're going to be of more interest to me than the people that are that are success stories. Yeah. And I kind of, kind of knew that I wanted to write something about a kind of a person that had, that had been in some way, I suppose, a, a sort of rock and roll casualty or, or whatever. Mm. And, you know, I love Gene Clark and um, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of preposterous for me to sort of paint Jean Clark as someone that life didn't work out for. Whenever, whenever you know, look what he achieved. He was phenomenal. He's fantastic. But I kind of wanted to look at someone who um, possibly had everything in place to do well, but just own personal frailties or circumstances meant it didn't it didn't it didn't happen. And I kind of thought that I've read such I love reading. Um I, I just find I just, I just read a lot of kind of like rock biographies or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So I thought I've got a lot of stuff here that I would kind of like to kind of like to use. So I came up with this character Gil Courtney and it kind of was even the name was sort of a blend of, you know, um Gil Scott Heron, um, Bobby Gillespie, Courtney Love, Courtney Barnett. So I was even trying to do it so it actually sounded the resonances of other of other people. Yeah. Um, so I ended up ended up writing all about this this person, uh, and I just couldn't get it to work. And I wrote about twenty thousand words or twenty five thousand right. words, yeah. And I was writing and thinking, who would want to read this? I find it funny, you know. Imagine him with imagine him on stage with Steve Marriott, or imagine yeah. Steve Marriott stand with his his mum and all this. But who else is interested in this, other than a handful of people? And then I wrote it from the point of view of the mom. I wrote it from the point of view of him. I wrote it from the point of view of the manager, and nothing ever took off. And then I was chatting to a friend. Um, um, writer Sean O'Reilly and he was saying this your problem is that the form isn't reflecting the subject matter is there no mm. other way you can tell that where form is more conducive to, to telling this than the typical short story format and I just thought the smash hits pop yeah up. and as soon yeah. as I as soon as I struck on that I wrote it on one night um, wow. and I, I was able to cut about just cut so much of it and I was on a total high because I kind of knew that this was now this was now um this was now working, you know. Amazing. Um yeah. and so that was great. But the funny thing about it as well is that because it's pop facts, a lot of people have kind of thought that this is a real person. 
Yeah. Um, well, I had to Google him, I must admit. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's things like whenever you look at it, he couldn't possibly have done all the stuff he's done because one minute he's in Hamburg, the next minute he's, you know, he's yeah. in it, it, it couldn't really playing, all happen. Playing the Star Club, indeed. Yes, you know. exactly. So playing yeah. the Star Club. And, you know, he's been everywhere and he's known absolutely everybody. But then as well, you think about somebody like Alex Chilton. And it, whenever you look at the people he played with and whatever you can nearly say, it seems incredible that one person could have done all of that. But I have yeah. people say, oh, you know, I've actually heard his record. The Volante, made up this album, Volante Blue. I didn't think it was all lie. I can understand it. <laughs> I feel like this person doesn't. This person doesn't exist. You know. And did did you have an idea of how that music would sound when you were writing it? Um, I suppose I was thinking sort of I don't know, sort of Terry Riley sort of kind oh, of right. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it was also as well reading because he was a keyboard player. I was also reading quite a lot about um Nicky Hopkins. So I love there's mm. a Julian I love the Julian Dawson Nicky um Hopkins book. And so mm. I was kind of imagining him slight with a kind of Nicky Hopkins um attitude. Um right. as as well. Um yeah, and I suppose as well I was kind of thinking too about just those sort of people in studios that are really difficult. So I was kind of thinking yeah. about, you know, because he says, I see you play it like whatever it is on a tat, you know, make make it sound like it's a peach. Like it sounds yeah, like very John Lennon. Thing yeah, as exactly. Well, isn't exactly. It? So I was kind yeah. of thinking about, yeah, thinking about that type of yeah. that type of thing. It was John Lennon was, didn't he want it to sound like an orange? There, That was one yeah. of the quotes. Yeah. yeah. The, um, I mean, I thought... Sid Barrett would be an obvious. And Sid Barrett, yeah, of course, yeah. Sid, Sid Barrett, yeah, yeah. But then, uh, but also Kevin Ayers. Do you know? Yeah. Do you like Kevin Ayers' music? Yeah, Kevin Ayers, yeah, yeah. Because when Kevin Ayers died, they a few years ago, they reprinted in the Guardian, I think, his last interview, and it's and it's very very sad. He, he was living in France, and he, you know, he was a terrible alcoholic, and and he said something like, "I just live my life like." I'm sitting down, oh, here's this meal, you know. And it's like he's just found himself having breakfast, you know. It's kind of like, and his whole life was like this. Oh, I'm doing this album now. There's, there's albums he can't remember making, you know, in the 70s and 80s. It's very sad. Yeah, yeah. And it was a very sad portrait of just this enormously talented, funny man, you know. But that's really what it reminded me of. My key thing in that story was that um, that the, the album had been really a, pretty much a flop. Um, mm. But I don't know if you can remember that one of the pop facts was about in a guy in Leeds, the, a student student TV um, club, were interviewing people in the street and asking them about the music that mean that meant most to them. And this one yeah. random guy in an anorak and lead said Gil Courtney and um, Volante Blue and how it was sort of so transporting. And, you know, it's kind of like the, the validity of stuff that even gets such an absolutely minuscule audience. And um, mm. it can still speak to, it's, it's still, is there still a validity to, to doing that, pursuing mm. that, if you've got a really, really, really small, small audience? And then, of course, like the bus passed just as they were recording this. So yeah. they couldn't, they couldn't use it anyway. Yeah. So suppose just interested in that idea, you know, that this Gil Courtney's family, you know, or neighbors were saying, why, why bother with that at all? He could have had a life that was pretty. Mm. 
pretty steady, pretty yeah. uh, mundane, and maybe longer and happier. Yeah. Or not. Or not. Well, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things Muldoon says about McCartney is he imagines Paul, Paul McCartney could have been this teacher, this English teacher, or maybe a Don or something, you know. He imagines him with a mortarboard instead of a mop top or something like that. <laughs> but there's something nice about that. Uh, yeah, that kind of what could have been. And yeah, so are there any kind of, you obviously, you said you read a lot of kind of rock biographies. Are there any kind of Beatle books you've read and particularly liked? Did you like the um, Kevin Barry one, Beatle? The, the oh, I haven't read that yet. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got that on the shelf, and I really want to read that. Have, have you read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it. So this is like a kind of novelization about John Lennon, isn't it? Could you could you explain a bit more about what what that's about? I'm definitely going to read this. Well, it's a, it's a, um it's a, it's about John Lennon and um, arriving in a um, an island um, off the coast of um, of Ireland, and just mm. basically what. Uh, what happens? What what transpires? You know. Cool. And when when is it kind of set in the fic- fictional world or the real world? <laughs> um. When? Oh goodness, I couldn't tell you what year it would because he did didn't didn't he did have an island? Isn't that right? So the island of Dorinch, uh, in Clue Bay in County Mayo, Ireland, was previously owned by John Lennon, who purchased the island in 1967. For one thousand seven hundred pounds, and the island became a place of peace for Lennon and his family. I'm reading from Wikipedia. Um, after his divorce from Cynthia, the island went unused until Lennon invited King of the Hippies Sid Rule and Timmy Walsh to establish a commune on the island in 1970. And the novel Beetle Bone is a kind of fictionalised road trip uh, around the west of Ireland in 1978 by John Lennon. So it sounds absolutely fascinating. Can't wait to read it. And there is a Beatles Books podcast uh, interview with Kevin Barry, so that's worth checking out too. Bye. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's definitely worth it's definitely worth a read for sure. Do you listen to the Beatles a lot now? Are they part of you know music? what I do, I. I do listen to the Beatles on and off, and um, I would listen to the I would listen to the White Album more than more than any other one. And I can mm. remember I moved to Newcastle upon Tyne in nineteen ninety three, and um, I listened to the White Album a lot whenever mm. I lived in um, whenever I lived in Newcastle, and it would still probably be my my favorite. It would be my favorite Beatles album, and I've got a. Um, Got a nineteen-year-old daughter, um, and uh, I was just speaking to her before um, I came here to talk to you. Mm. And I was saying to her, I was, I was saying, do you, do you listen to the Beatles? And she went, yes. And I said, well, what do you listen to? And she said, the White Album as well. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of that was kind of quite that was kind of quite nice. Nice. And what is it about the White Album for you? Do you think? <sighs> I just think, and again, I know, I know I'm not saying anything new. I know all this is probably a bit of a, a bit of a cliche, but I think it's just got it's it feels really spacious, and it mm. feels like something that when you listen to it each time, you hear something that's kind of quite, um, quite different. Even though we've listened to it for many, many, um, for, for many decades now, because mm. I'm not very mm. young, and um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've. 
hear new sorts of new sorts of things and, and I also find it funny and I know mm. that that's like if you told me oh, do you want to listen to a humorous record I'd be absolutely yeah. not similarly if you said to me oh do you want to meet this person they're so witty it's just like <laughs> what a turn off the witty person yeah. be a total self-regarding yeah. idiot or oh, yeah. you know somebody said oh you, they write comic novels dreadful but i do find I, I find you know back in the ussr really funny and i, mm. I find you know why don't we do it in the road really funny as well yeah um yeah. but 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 not in a like you know let's fall off with the chair laughing but i just i just like them um and i just think there's it, it it just it just feels still you can keep listening to it and hearing more and more um mm. in it basically and i do yeah. love i love the lyrics as well you know that thing where you don't i suppose it's like that kate's thing like you know negative capability where you don't always need to be reaching after kind of logic and reason and you know all the things that we were saying earlier about things people can tolerate in song lyrics really really easily that they can't in um poetry and literature maybe where they're trying to grasp a very specific meaning i just think you know happiness is a warm gun and so much else there it just yields all sorts of interesting interesting ideas and interesting meanings and, and yeah. so on you sure know? yeah and i also write so i also like things where where there's some stuff that i don't really I don't really get maybe or I don't really mm. like but they're so part and parcel of the whole like I, I'm a Stones fan too and like Exile and Main Street I listen to tons but there's some of the I can't stand some even though it's one of my favorites there's some things on it I don't like yeah. um, and I try not to skip those things um mm -hmm. because I kind of feel it's part and parcel of of what it of what it is totally I mean on this podcast the two songs which get the most hate are Obla Di Obla Da and Piggies. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I never skip them. And I, I actually quite like Piggies. <laughs> I mean, you kind of need it there. I think it's kind of interesting. It's got nice chords. But I think, you know, what you're talking about, what you were saying there, for me, I, I was thinking, you know, Cry Baby Cry is the song on the White Album where I always just think that sums up its own little world. And if you were to describe the White Album... You, you might say, like, voices out of nowhere put on specially by the children for a lark, you know. That seems to sum up the White Album for me. Yeah. In that it's quite spooky, but it is funny. And it's the, funny. The, way, the way Cry Baby Cry just builds and builds. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. Amazing. It's great. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and do you have uh, one question we ask all our guests? Do you have a kind of controversial Beatles opinion? Is there, like, a... A well-known song you really hate, or I don't know if this quite fits the bill, but I can remember. Um, I it's 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 a it's a John it's it's jealous guy, right? And I mm. can remember. Obviously, I was a bit of a nitwit whenever I was younger, <laughs> right? But I can remember whenever Roxy Music released "Jealous Guy." I remember right. being sort of shocked and thinking that's really quite. They're they're singing from the point of view of that guy. Mark Chapman, right? Um, and that's what I thought at the as a nitwit, that's what I thought at the time. Really? This wow. was yeah. that they were singing from his point of view. And I thought, what what an unusual Well, you you just kind of jumped to that. I jumped assumption. to that conclusion. Yeah. And right. later on I've realized that also many other people thought that same thing. Really? Um, many other people thought that, yeah. Um, and I noticed that the Mark Chapman, um, is there some sort of documentary out now about him? Um, 
it co- it's it's called jealous guy. No, that's I was foolish. It was ridiculous to think that, but many other mm. people were foolish and ridiculous. To me, it still seems that it's a fun. It's a funny. It's a funny song. Yeah. To have uh, them to have covered. Yeah. yeah, that is interesting. I mean, so when did that cover come out then? So was I it think it must shortly? have been about what was it? Nineteen. Google time. Oh, yeah, following Lennon's death in 1980, Roxy Music added a version of the song to their set while touring in Germany, which they recorded and released in February 81, so really soon after, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I was at that stage, what would I have been, 13 or whatever, Um, Mm. and I I can remember thinking that's a really weird thing to do, to have a song that's about that guy. Yeah, Um, it's not a choice. And so obviously yeah. I got it totally wrong, but as well I wasn't alone in getting it. Totally no, wrong. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so strange. It is strange. It's really strange. Yeah. That's what. Yeah. So that Mark Chapman documentary is called Jealous Guy. Mm. Mm. Yeah, weird. What a, weird. what a creepy note to end on. <laughs> maybe, like, maybe, maybe it's too creepy to be used. No, it's fine. I mean, yeah. Sorry, we've kept you for over an hour. I'm just using. I'm used to saying we because Jack isn't here because I'm just just using the royal we. It's been a total pleasure, honestly. It really oh, brilliant. has. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much. It's been fantastic. And lots of chat about Muldoon, which and which I really enjoyed because uh, I I I. I, I Went to uni when Paul Muldoon was professor of poetry mm-hmm. at Oxford, mm-hmm. and so I've sort of been following his career for a long time. And those he did these lectures at Oxford, and I'm convinced now they were a piss take, <laughs> because when you, you you would go to the lecture and it'd be an hour long, and he'd start at this one point of a poem, and he'd detour so far from it, and you'd drift off, and you'd kind of go, "What? How's he got here?" And like, I'm sure he was like kind of slightly deconstructing the idea of being a professor of poetry, you know. It was brilliant. Anyway, I could ramble on for yeah. ages. <laughs> no, he's, he's brilliant. I met him, right, this sounds so show busy, but I met him in um, this place, Los Gatos in California, um, oh, wow. at this, this bizarre festival that featured Van Morrison's daughter. Um, and he was. I was up at this event cutting a bit of cheese and he came over and he said, um, I didn't even I didn't even know who was speaking to me. And the voice said, um, I'm going to see Trent Reznor soon. Do you like Trent Reznor? And I turned around <laughs> and it was Paul Muldoon. And it was so surreal. The whole the whole thing was so surreal. But he, he's just, I think, a great, a great individual. Absolutely yeah. brilliant, you know. Yeah. And totally. really funny. Yeah. Poems are funny. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, Wendy, thank you so much for no, your time. No, my pleasure. It loved it. Absolutely loved it. So thank you. So that was the brilliant Wendy Erskine. I really, really enjoyed listening to that, um, especially just, you know, not having to listen to the sound of my honking old voice. <laughs> it was um, great. It was really great. You did a fantastic job on your own. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I kept sort of saying we. It sort of sounded like the royal we. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, it was great. She was she was so lovely. It was brilliant to chat to her. And definitely check out her book, Sweet Home. It's fantastic. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are, we're going to be back um, in an indefinite amount of time with uh, another podcast with the brilliant Sean Keevney. Yeah. Uh, formerly of Six Music, now a um, a podcaster. Yeah. And we'll also hopefully do a post get back 
one of some description where we kind of digest the get back film as well. So, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's coming quick now, isn't it? It's only only a couple of weeks away. Yeah. Incredibly exciting stuff. Mm. Um, so, yeah, if you want to keep sending in your own personal Beatles stories, then our email is very much still active. You can go to personalbeatles.com forward slash contact or email me jack at homespunsounds.com. Until then. Keep on beetling. No, keep beetling on. Oh, sorry. Stop getting the catchphrase <laughs> wrong. <laughs> keep on beetling. But keep beetling on just sounds so much worse. I know, scan. that's why it's good. <laughs> keep beetling keep, on. Keep beetling on. <laughs> Your Own Personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds production. 